0: There is no gospel without repentance. Welcome, everyone, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave the Militant Penitent, Van Bickle. <laughs> I am
1: militantly penitent.
0: <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> it took me so long to come up with that. So today we have an interesting show. We're going to look at some of the touch points of Catholic life in the parish uh, to see how you can bring the gospel and re and re and re and re re propose the gospel. Uh, It's more of a conversation today between me and Dave and how we can kind of do this and how we have done this or how we'd like to do it in our own parish setting. Um just please remember our disclaimer this isn't the only way to do it but it is our way right and so maybe you can build something from it if it doesn't work for you in the way that
1: we're proposing then then don't worry about it every parish is different right dave oh yeah it's and and every parish has a culture and they do some things really well and you got to you have to find your you know your way to to really you know preach the gospel with your culture in mind so absolutely absolutely so what we're going to do is break down that but first we got to dive
0: through one of our great questions one of our listeners sent in yeah we got a great email i this. love this paul wrote in with three questions kind of following up on our jeff Caven's interview episode which i loved um but it was very specific about the charisma so we're going to we're going to serve you up a cup of oh my gosh kerygma. my
1: so my son listened to that podcast and he will not stop saying that like when i get ho- when i get home from work my 6 year old son judah will be like dad did you brew a cup of charisma <laughs> and then so, and then you're thanks, like no no i so much, didn't jeff
0: just because of jeff so- i'm done <laughs> <laughs> um so his first question is great so when you're talking about breaking down the charisma the first one is god has an amazing
1: plan for your life Dave, doesn't that sound like the prosperity gospel? Right. I and I I totally get what you're saying and I think for a lot of like especially Catholic speakers, they they tend to make it sound like that that God has an amazing plan for your life. Here here's the the issue that you know, we have to kind of get through is that an amazing plan in the eyes of the world is not what we're preaching. Like we are definitely not saying, "Hey, God has an amazing plan for your life, meaning that everything that you thought about when you were a child, right, you wanted to be rich, you wanted to be famous, you wanted this, is going to come true. That's certainly not what we're saying. What we're saying is that God had something even greater than that, right? And that might not look like we're prosperous. It might not look like we're you know, successful, but it is going to be more amazing. Ultimately, what we're saying is like, yeah, God's plan is amazing, and it might to the outsider look like, oh, boy, this is not prosperity at all, you know? But, uh, but it doesn't mean it's not amazing. So I guess that's what I would say, like, first off, right off the bat.
0: Yeah, and th- for those of you who don't know, the prosperity gospel is a phenomenon among evangelical Protestants or fundamentalist Protestants. It's what got Oral Roberts, Oral Roberts University. Yep. It's this idea, like, preachers would basically say, if you get God's generosity, he will not be outdone. So if you give him $10, God's going to give you 100 back. And so, uh, Andy Stanley, evangelical pastor says, how did they not figure out that if that were true, why don't they give themselves a thousand dollars and then God will give them $10,000 and they just get to keep all the money. Um, so what do we mean by God's amazing plan for your life? We believe that Jesus Christ desires the full and complete union of you with him forever. That's an amazing plan. Following the master is going to lead you to have an amazing life. Like Mother Teresa, right? Right, like St. Right. Francis of Assisi, St. Anthony of Padua, right? These people lived amazing lives, but as you said, not according to the world. Um, his next question is, uh, so in the second part of the Kerygma, where we talk about how sin disrupts God's plan for our lives, he says, and this is, I think, pretty insightful, um, is talking about our sin a fruitful entry point, especially right. in our culture today where we've lost the sense of sin, because don't you guys say that morality is not always the right starting point? Um, and I'll just take the lead on this one. I think that um, the idea of the conviction of personal sin is huge. But the other thing we have to remember is the charisma is not always a step by step by step by step process. Correct. When we lay it out, you know, Jeff, you know, the, you know, the four spiritual laws, Jeff's uh, seven, um, seven point charisma. When you lay it out like that, it's to be helpful for you and I to kind of put these things together in our minds. But that's never, like, what is the the phrase, uh, rarely does a plan survive first contact with the enemy, like it's a military saying. Like, the moment you begin to do this, it's very rare that you could actually walk people through the charisma. Even when I'm preaching the gospel from um, a stage with a microphone, very rarely have I ever just done these points. Because you're, you're trying to identify with where people are coming from. And if people are coming from a place of profound moral brokenness, morality is the perfect starting point. Sure. Right? But what we are trying to say is people aren't going to surrender their life to Christ if we're hitting them over the head with moral issues and their failure to be on that. It, it, is, it doesn't mean hide away the moral stuff. So um, is sin a fruitful entry point? It can be if people are lost – And that is a a place where we can speak to. Um, But you're right. In a culture that has lost a sense of sin, what do we do? Um, Just in my own life, I actually have a parish mission where the whole point of the parish mission is to convict people and convince them of their own sin and how that is ruining their relationship with God. And it has been incredibly fruitful because people, though they want to deny the reality of sin, still hold on to it. They still hold on to it. And they need, they know implicitly when you begin to bring this out, now in some places where they don't have a conviction of personal sin, it takes some tap dancing. But they need to get rid of their sin. There is no gospel without repentance. There is no, right? Without, you know, Jeff uses the phrase the radical
1: reorientation, which comes from the catechism. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think this is what, what's important about this is that when he was using the example he was talking about the Billy Graham crusades and yeah right it that's one aspect of sharing the charisma and it's a very rare aspect what we've always said from the beginning and jeff would say this too the best place to evangelize the best place to share the charisma is in a long-term relationship and so it's not like you're walking one point after another and you've got 20 minutes to get it across uh in fact that's why I always I always keep coming back to this Ananias training, because they literally teach you, you know, when to start sharing the different points of the kerygma. And I and I think that that's really important to understand that, like, uh, some of us who are, like, professional Catholics, we kind of specialize in one point or another of the kerygma. And so, you know, at certain times, we'll preach about that. Uh, but if you're in a long-term relationship, you can just take your time, right? You can start to share those things. Right uh you know more organically as opposed to having to get it across in a in a crusade if you will um so just remember like w- when we when we say those points we throw them out so simply it's drastically more complicated in the actual proclamation of the gospel because it takes place within human relationships and within human relationships sometimes uh you can get someone there faster sometimes you they they take a little time but eventually like what gomer just said you're going to have to cross that threshold of admitting our own sinfulness and yeah. asking for repentance.
0: And speaking of crossing the threshold, Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples, she lays out the kerygma differently because she actually lived in the Pacific Northwest. She lays it out differently for those who deny personal sin but are more than willing to accept structural sin or social sin. Right. And so she lays it out from, and I think beautifully, from the perspective of the kingdom. right, And if you can understand Jesus proclaiming the kingdom, it kind of changes the way that you do the kerygma, the points of the kerygma. Uh, Okay, so we have our last comment, our last comment. Uh, Madly in love versus mildly interested in Christ. Jeff made that distinction. Is there no third way? What for those uh, who haven't had a deeply personal relational experience with Christ? Many have had the, what he says, the hiddenness of God and not really the experience of the presence of God. And he uses Mother Teresa for this. What do you think about that question, Dave?
1: Right. And I, I, you know, first of all, like, let me just say, this is a great question because it is something that people are always wondering about. Like, what what does this mean? Now, I, I would say that... The words like experience and feelings and those kind, those don't get us real far in this discussion. Okay. So I think that, like, a lot of people, like, for instance, when I share my testimony, it is pretty crazy. I mean, I, you know, not in the sense that I was like a, you know, crazy, like ax murder or something, and then came to the Lord, but it, my experience that we know of, that we know of, uh, but my experience of actually like, you know, giving my life to the Lord was, is extremely dramatic. And people will say like, Oh, you know, I never had that at all. And the thing you have to understand is that experiences aren't necessarily, you know, the best thing to judge your relationship with God or feelings are really not the best way to judge your relationship with God what you want to make sure is that your relationship is progressing in the sense that your will is being strengthened. You're experiencing more freedom. You're able to uh, allow God to inform your decisions in daily life. So, so let's just start out the conversation by saying, remember, it's more about the fruits of the Holy spirit than the feeling of the Holy spirit. Right now, secondly, let's say this madly in love. You know, I don't know. I don't know if you'd ever describe any saint as not, madly in love with Jesus Christ. Now, are there personalities that just don't gush like that? Of course there are, but I don't know that you could ever describe, and even your example of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, it's true that she experienced the dark night of the soul that lasted over 30 years and very often didn't experience God's like manifest presence in a sense or the the emotional presence or the the lights that God often brings, but never once did she stray from the language of well, of nuptial language, really, of Jesus being her, her closest and, and intimate companion. And in fact, you know, warns her sisters very sternly, you, they must have this personal daily relationship with Jesus Christ. So, you know, I, I guess a lot of this has to do with how you describe your relationship. My point to you is this, do you depend daily on Jesus Christ to be able to live your life? If so, I think we can go ahead and say, yeah, that you, you have a deep, serious personal relationship with Jesus, uh, even if you don't, maybe don't feel the emotional side of it. Do you depend daily on God to inform your decisions? Then then we're, we're speaking the same language here. We're just using a little bit different terminology. What, what do you think, Homer?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, what does it mean to be madly in love? Madly in terms of this world.
1: Right. right. This world right.
0: views it insane to reprioritize your entire life around Jesus Christ. So when we talk about mildly interested in Jesus, you can study Jesus without following him. You are mad when you follow him. Right. The actual cultivation of uprooting your sin, reprioritizing your life, engaging in ascetical practices, having silent prayer. Right. um, Going on retreats, helping others discover Christ, uh, find healing and forgiveness and mercy, all of that. So going out of your way, sacrificing your own comfort for a total stranger because you love them because Jesus died for you. Like that is being madly in love. Now, the shift of when we say personal relationship, we say it within the context of our Catholic tradition. We don't mean an emotional high, as Dave already pointed out. We mean a total adherence and a lifelong commitment. Total adherence. All that you are needs to be given to Christ. Now, part of our ongoing conversion is when we find new things that aren't of Christ, we got to keep giving those away and giving those right. away and giving those away. And we'll never be on this side of the veil, right? The the monkish spirituality is that of perfection, right? So we're constantly tending towards perfection, but we won't be fully perfect until we're in heaven. And so the idea is that... Um, you you are madly in love if you're pursuing Christ, but don't let the emotional thing side of it hinder you. I, I always tell people: if you're the type of person who gets emotional at football, you're the type of person who needs to get emotional with Christ. Yeah. You know, like if you can hoot and holler over stupid right. things, you should be able to find within you the desire. I mean, there, there's a whole form of prayer called affective prayer from St. Francis de Sales, where he says. Sometimes your spirit is not willing. Your flesh is weak. What do you do? He said, get a crucifix, wrap your arms around it, and try to stir up tears and say, Christ, I need repentance. So there is an element and a place for emotions. If you're not super emotional, then don't worry about having an emotional experience of God. But man, let Christ affect your calendar, your relationships, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I I deal with this a lot too, where um, people mourn the idea that they don't have the emotional relationship and and i remind them that you know if you just a small knowledge of the church's spiritual teaching is that you know it, the emotional relationship is eventually going to get stripped away like god god eventually is going to take away those lights if we're progressing on a, on the road to sainthood and to say like hey let's see what your motivations are do you really love me for me or do you love me for the feelings yeah absolutely and so you know it's it's not necessarily a bad thing you know to to say that you don't have the emotional side especially if your will is experiencing more freedom. That That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no yeah. question.
0: And we're going to include in the show notes the resources that letter from Mother Teresa. Um, it's called the Varanasi letter, and it is intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, what we want to do today is actually, we spent half the show doing that question, but we want to open up to this idea of there are institutional things, um, moments or touch points within church life where people can. Um, where people can hear the gospel, where in many parishes they currently aren't. So DREs, clergy, you know, all that stuff, this is for you. But also, laity, if you're going to start volunteering, you want to preach the gospel with that low-hanging fruit, join these ministries. We've encouraged you to do that before in the Take Fives in the past. But look at these ministries. Join these ministries. We want to help you break open the kerygma in these things. So, well,
1: so what we're talking about here is, like, the the times that— People come to the parish, maybe outside of mass where we've talked about mass before, outside of mass, and when we can leverage that time to preach the basic gospel message to preach the charisma. and so the the first one that we're still getting tons of right are is baptism class, right Gomer I mean baptism class is still something that people are coming to, and I say still because uh i'm I'm in a diocese where marriages baptisms, those things are starting to dwindle down a little bit because of the loss of faith in our society, but we're still receiving a lot of that. And so we have this kind of captive audience at this moment. How do we preach the Kerygma? And this is an important question for every parish worker out there because many, many people are coming to you for this class who have never given their life to the Lord, who have never wrestled with the basic gospel message. um, And like this could be the only chance they get, in all honesty. They're yeah. probably, most of them are probably creasers, yeah. right? They come to Mass on Christmas and Easter. So how are we going to leverage this time?
0: Yeah, so whenever I was invited to do baptismal prep at my parish, I'm not responsible for it, but sometimes I volunteer for these different ministries in order to bring my ability to give the basic gospel message in them. The number one thing that I do with baptism preparation, right, is I get them to see the link between the death and resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, with the idea of their child's baptism. And the classical text for this is, of course, Romans chapter 5 and 6. Romans 6 talks about, do you not know that those of you who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? You know, you've been buried with him so that you'll be united with a resurrection like his, all that good stuff. But before Paul does it, in Romans chapter 5, he connects Adam to Christ. What we lost in Adam, we now have by being in Christ, And uh, baptism is what gets us into Christ so that by his righteous dying and his resurrection, what happens to Jesus happens to us because we are in him. And so within baptism preparation, what I have found is so many people talk about the mechanics of baptism, whether you're old school and you're gonna talk about matter and form or you (laughs) you depart from that language and kind of do your own thing. I sat through a baptismal class where me and my wife who both have a master's degree in theology i was an employee of the church the deacon went in and pushed in a video cassette and it was a picture of a priest rollerblading and then talking uh just about the warm feelings that surround bringing family together and uh, and it literally had nothing to do about the gospel of Jesus Christ And I left, and I was like, do you have a survey (laughs) so that we can provide feedback? And they said no. So incorporating at this moment and understanding that the people sitting in the classroom are not Christians. Now, I'm not saying this for everyone, but that's the assumption that we work from. And if you realize maybe they're not Christians, how would I propose the gospel for them? And often I will tell you, i don't when when I 'm given a baptismal preparation it might be like a four hour meeting or whatever, and I have thirty minutes forty five minutes in the beginning. I focus on the adults. I do not focus on well, this is what it means to raise your child in the faith. other people might do that. my job is to evangelize them,
1: yeah, and I think that uh the other thing is if you're in a class that is small enough, ask a lot of questions, do tons of questions right ask a lot of ask them why they want their child to be baptized, take the time to be uh, really kind of Socratic in this, right. That you're trying to get to know them genuinely and ask them about what their link to the parish is, how long they've been a part of it. Uh, try to really invest in that time because you're probably not going to get a lot of time with these couples. And so, uh, you know, do your very best to just leverage it. The other thing I would say is just really simple things offer baptism class at a convenient time (laughs) because, uh, You you know, I mean, just like, you know, tilling the soil for the word to be spoken is a great idea, but like, so we, we offer it different times at our parish and, um, at the new parish I'm at, I'm not sure exactly the time that they offer it now, but like, I've always suggested do a late one and do an early one, you know, so that, so that there's a different time and there's not so much stress on that, on that time at all. So baptism class is going to be, if you can get it right, you can get a lot of souls out of baptism class
0: yeah yeah okay so i want to roll right into the next one which i think is very very difficult because there are certain moral issues that
1: tend to creep in marriage preparation
0: you ever been a part of marriage preparation dave
1: uh very little but i i mean other than just making sure we have a good program you know (laughs) so what do
0: you do for marriage preparation outside of the charisma and what we're talking about what what is kind
1: of your flow so i i like the the weekend retreat model okay Um, and then I like, I like, especially if I can get the pastor to do one-on-one meetings with them, I really like that a lot. Okay. And so the weekend retreat model, um, is all, it would be half charismatic and then half, you know, specific to, uh, marriage prep. And the testimonials that I'll use are not only how I gave my life to the Lord, but also testimonials of exactly what you're talking about. The moral issues that come up. So people who have literally come to the faith and stopped using contraception or something like that and what happened in their life or people who found like the joy of NFP and things like that. But again, that can get tricky because there are just as many couples who say like, oh, NFP is the greatest thing that ever happened in my relationship to NFP is the worst thing ever. (laughs) You know, like people who who have that. So you got you want to make sure you're not preaching the prosperity gospel there as well. Oh,
0: that's Um, a really good point. It's a really good point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it just happens a lot, you know, where people say that it they make it sound like it's just, you know, a field of roses, you know, but it's not it's not always the case uh, for some people. So, we so we very much like focus on the idea of the theology of the body, how married love reflects God's love in the world. And so what we're doing is we're capitalizing on the romance that they feel between each other, right? And so if we can show them that like you know as much as you love each other that is going to be a sign for the world kind of opens up that door to preaching god's love to them um and how god's love will inform their love and how they can love each other even more because you know you, you see these wonderful beautiful young couples who are so in love and so excited and if you can kind of harness that and realize and show them that your love, it, it can even grow, you know, it can even grow. Like there's an even greater love that you'll both experience together when you're both trying to just go into the heart of God. It's an easy way. It's an easy transition, but it's going to get stopped up big time in what Gomer talked about the moral issues, because for the vast majority of people coming to your marriage prep class, they are using contraception. Many of them are already living together. I, I'd i say most of them are already living together. Yeah. Um, And many of them, have what i'm finding now have made the decision begrudgingly to get married in a church. Yeah. Um, you know, they it, and it's usually because maybe a grandma or a mom is saying, "No, no, you cannot get married on the beach or in a barn or something like that. You have to get married in a church." And they kind of do it begrudgingly. So there's a lot of hurdles to get over.
0: And if you think about that category, I one time had a priest say the exception to marriage preparation are people who aren't living together. Right. He said it uh, it almost doesn't exist. Right. And so if you think about that for marriage preparation, how much more so for baptism? Like, so many parents are clueless about their faith, but they know that this is something they need to do. And so they'll do it to make mom happy or grandma happy or whatever. So that's your audience. So they have moral impediments. They have, you know, all, uh, intellectual impediments. And so if you're there, you, just like David said, you want to capitalize on the love they feel and the excitement about the wedding. Okay. This is not, this is where when we talk about morality and how it becomes an obstacle, part of it, I have heard deacons and priests and lay people, when they talk about this, they will just ream out people who are uh, living together. So it's so counterproductive.
1: It's so counterproductive.
0: It's counterproductive because the goal, like if your goal is behavior modification, which is why we do that, right? We lead with fear and condemnation because we want immediate behavior uh, modification. We don't want conversion. We want But the idea is conversion is the only thing that's going to give us lasting behavioral modification, right? And the idea right here is they are gathered. You are so lucky to have these people because it is rare for Catholics to have a Catholic wedding. So treat these people as the only Jesus you'll ever meet. And realize that you have a priceless opportunity to win them over. And that's the phrase I would use. You're not using dirty tricks. You're not being a liar. You are trying to win them for Christ. And so one of the things that we do is um, we talk about sex. And I've mentioned this before, but we talk about sex and the theology of the body. Because right now... Other than the no, 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 no about Catholics' moral, sexual morality, um, most people don't know what the church teaches. They just hear a bunch of no's. And when you give them the theology of the body, and the whole theology of the body was based off of the sheer amazement of Pope John Paul had when in St. Paul and Romans 8 when he said, we await the redemption of our bodies, Pope John Paul, that line changed his life. And that's what led him to do the theology of the body. It wasn't just contraception. There was the beauty packed in the redemption of our bodies. So when I explained the goodness of sex, the goodness of human love, the goodness of all this caught up into the divine plan, they are excited. They are excited for this stuff. And so this is where you get to propose the beauty and dignity of the body. So I'll bring in the incarnation, the redemption, You know, the death of Christ on the cross, the resurrection, his ascension into heaven with his glorified and resurrected, but still human body. And that's why marriage is not something that's like, oh, well, I guess you can have sex, people. Marriage is a sacrament. And so when you begin to tie the sacraments to the kerygma, when you tie um, the body to the death and resurrection of Jesus, it produces within people sometimes this excitement and an energy and enthusiasm that they've never felt before about their faith. And then you tie that rate right to the actual wedding itself, and they can begin to see how the liturgy of the wedding unfolds within the context of this divine human love affair. That is what I always constantly try to hold in front of them. It's not just about getting them to do the right moral thing. It's getting them to surrender to Christ so that eventually, yes— through their discipleship they'll do the right and holy thing right if you get them to stop living together it doesn't mean that they are going to not contracept when they're married right like we need to come around and walk alongside right. these people
1: yeah I, I i think the best point that gomer just made is this idea of it's not just the no 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 in marriage prep we got to be able to proclaim the goodness of of love, you know, and why God gave romantic love to us. And I think, uh, one of the things I just say, practically speaking, I I hear this all the time where they might have like a a DRE who's like 70 years old. Right. Um, and very out of touch with, you know, modern culture explaining, like giving the sex talk, right. The, The air I'm using air quotes right now, the sex talk. Um, if you can find a young couple who have really like had their marriage changed by the theology of the body that that's who you want given the talk, right. Or someone, if you have someone at the church who can do it dynamically and in a way that um, that is going to speak to them, because this more than a lot of other things at the church, people, you know, the source means a lot to people. They want to know, you know, who this is coming from and and whether or not, you know, this is, this is practiced and preached right in in the same way. So, um, you know, just the practical things again, uh make you know you want to make sure that you're you're doing those things to to give a little bit of credibility to the message that you're that you're preaching yeah
0: as we kind of go towards the end i want to talk about another avenue that is all over the place that we can totally take advantage of which is the mandatory parent meetings <laughs> we have oh, yeah. so many meetings yeah. where one or both parents have to be there that's like our specialty I yeah. love those yeah exactly so for faith formation classes for sacrament preparation
1: uh, Dave, what do you do in those cases? So we have a rule at our parish, at the parish I was at before, and now we're implementing it here, that the first 10 minutes of every single parent meeting is the kerygma. Okay, we we somebody preaches the kerygma. It's going to be either me or someone that I trust. And then five minutes after that, it's going to be a testimony from their peer group. So, for instance, if it's confirmation parents, I look at the list of names of the confirmation parents, and I look for you know a couple who I know – could give their five minute testimony. And I contact them and said, could you do it at that, you know, at that meeting? And usually they say yes. And the first 10 minutes I'm going to give a, a, you know, some kind of proclamation of the charisma. The other thing I do, and this is just like, I guess now my secret will be out, but I always end meetings earlier than I say I'm going to. Always, 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 always. And I always make it sound like this. What we're going to try and do, I know it says we're going to be here for an hour. What we're going to try and do is I'm going to try and get you out of here in 40 minutes, right? Like just to try and like win people over. Yeah. Uh, and it really does help, you know, to do that. Um, oh, yeah. But our, but I can't tell you how many times, right? Um, when I end my charismatic uh, exposition right at the beginning, I'll always end with a specific request, okay? And so that specific request might be like, say, for instance, if it's a first reconciliation meeting, we have reconciliation this Tuesday night. I, I'm asking you, as a family, go to reconciliation, okay? And we have, I mean, I can see real data. If I had the, the ability to collect it, I, I'd, I'd publish something. But I can see real, real data of people responding to that one call and going. And you might not think that they will, but I promise you that they will respond to that one call. The most common thing we do is, after preaching the kerygma, I'll say, uh, you know, this is just a, a an example of the basic gospel message. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're starting our program. It could be Discovering Christ or Alpha or uh, Jesus is or something, you know, something that we've created on our own, where we're going to expand on this on a weekly basis. And we want to invite you into this. And, it, and we really do get a lot of people from that.
0: Uh, yeah. My one of my favorite scenarios is we had a sacrament um, of reconciliation parent meeting and they do these little mini retreats and I was invited to give the parent talk which was for about an hour and I gave a talk and I had two comments that stayed with me forever one woman said I have never heard someone I've never sat through an hour-long talk before in my life and she said I was really nervous and I wasn't bored at all and all I did was take him through Genesis 2 and 3 and then the resurrection of Christ so what we lost in the fall and uh how Christ got it uh, you know give us a new life new creation and so uh, and then I tie it to the sacrament of confession for like the last 10 minutes. And uh, so the woman was like, I, that was awesome. I was entertained. Well, this other woman came up to me and she was crying. And she said uh, in, in her heavily accented English, she said, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I was like, yeah, you're welcome. You know, doing the speaker thing. You're welcome. Thank you. And then she leaves. And this was crazy. So I'm in uh, the kids. Then the parents join up with the kids and they're talking. The mom is walking by me. With her kids, she doesn't see me, and her son says, "But mommy, why has it been so? Or how long has it been since you've went to confession?" And I hear her say, "I'm I'm sad to say, but it's been over twenty years." And he says, "But why do I have to go if you're not gonna go?" And she she looks up at that point, her face gets red in her cheeks, and she's like, "I promise you, I'm going to go now." And she looked because she looked at me. And so she starts crying again because she realizes I heard him say, you haven't been in 20 years or whatever. When I was walking out of the parking lot, the mother was sitting on a bench with the priest and he was hearing her confession in That's the awesome. middle of the whole church. She, she couldn't even wait to get home to do this. So these are not stale things. It can be stale if you let it be. But mandatory parent meetings. So my thing is uh, when I try to do this, I uh, try to teach parents how to pray and connect prayer into the life of the charygma. Because if people don't have personal prayer, they're not going to grow in their faith. It's going to stay being this formalized, you know, all right, it's Sunday on Easter, let's go to Mass. When we come back, uh, we're going to do our practical take fives. And, uh, and I would encourage you to check out our show notes. If you go to the ascensionpress.com website and you go into their Medium podcast page, you can find our stuff. You can look at all the wonderful show notes that our producers help create. Uh, So uh, if you want to email us, EKSB at AscensionPress.com, we'll look forward to bringing your question into a future episode. everyone welcome back it is time for our take fives dave's favorite part of the show <laughs> i do like it
1: i, I like this I, show. I like it because like people so many people have said like i do them every week yeah. and that makes me so happy yeah. that makes me so happy. i was i
0: was always nervous because i'm like oh it's sometimes it feels forced and now i'm like this is awesome <laughs> this is it's literally changing yeah, right. my life um I, I i never told you this but uh i sent my brother a bible I bought one of the Take Fives a couple weeks ago was buy a Bible. And, you know, I get that intimidation factor when it's my family. So I just said, what's your address? Uh, Just need to confirm something. And so I sent it to him with a funny little note attached to it from Amazon. Hopefully he can at least start and me and him can have conversations around it. But enough of that. uh, Time to dive into the Take Fives. Uh, Speaking of Mother Teresa, our first Take Five is pray the prayer that Mother Teresa loved from John Henry Cardinal Newman called the Radiating Christ Prayer. You know, help me spread your fragrance everywhere that I go, right? Maybe you've heard the song version of that, Um, but go Google it and find that um, online, the Radiating Christ Prayer of John Henry Cardinal Newman.
1: Awesome. Last week, we had you start to discern your different gifts, charisms, whatever you want, talents, whatever you want to say uh, that you could maybe put at the service of the gospel. Now, I hope you were doing that and thinking about it because this week, what I want you to do is I want you to literally make a plan of how you're going to take action on this, okay? And I mean, like, set dates down. Like, for instance, if you decided, you know, I'm really good at hospitality, maybe I could host someone over and just, you know, show them the love of Christ through hospitality. I want you to get something on the calendar here, okay? Get something on the calendar. I want you to take concrete steps. So make a plan of how you're going to share your talent, charism, gift for the, for the kingdom of heaven. Awesome. Number
0: three, I want you to go into the catechism paragraphs 1262 to 1274 and read them this is on the grace of baptism especially if you are involved in baptismal preparation sometimes i think we hit up all the other articles and we don't focus on um within the sacrament of baptism we focus on who celebrates who's it for you know how is it done and we don't look at what is one for us and the grace of baptism just recalls that into our lives so study the grace of baptism in the catechism awesome
1: All right, number four, Uh, you know, we always have to have something with intercessory prayer, okay? And today we talked about different parish ministries that you could leverage for the sake of the gospel, different parish touch points. What I want you to do is pick a specific one. Could be the baptism prep at your parish, could be the marriage prep, could be any number of things, maybe an event coming up, maybe a confirmation meeting, maybe something like that. And I want you to just do a prayer campaign this week. Maybe every day pray a memorare that at that meeting Christ's love would be radiated. And and I want to just remind you that even if your parish isn't making cultural change yet, and you have no hope of someone actually preaching the kerygma at that meeting, maybe it's going to be dry, maybe it's going to be terrible, intercessory prayer is where evangelization starts. And literally, I ask people to pray. I say, you know, will you pray even the fact that someone drives by our church that when they see it, they would feel God's love? You can do that, and it happens. And I, I could tell you amazing stories about how people have said that it's affected them. So please, please don't write this off. Do Choose some event, some class, maybe a prep class, something like that, and do a little prayer campaign this week every day. Pray for God's love to be radiated through that class.
0: All right, number five, ask one person, preferably someone you don't know well, although I'm going to leave it up to you, how can I pray for you. That's it. Super simple. Very straightforward. Ask one person this week, how can I pray for you?
1: Boom. And that's the Take Fives. Yeah, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow. I hope you guys like this. I hope that it's really affecting your life. And if you do, we'd love it if you went onto iTunes and gave us a rating or whatever you use for your podcasts. And if you would share it with your friends, that's what we really want. We want you to share it. We also want to hear from you. We want to build this community, this army of evangelists. So please write in to eksb at ascensionpress.com, eksb at ascensionpress.com, and we will do our best. To answer your questions. And even if you have a question that you're not crazy about it being on the air, uh, just let us know. We'll we'll write back to you personally and we'll do our best. That's what we're in the business of. We want to bring people to Jesus Christ. So thanks again for joining us. I'm Dave Van Vickle, joined by the beautiful and handsome, (laughs) beautiful for your soul, handsome for your body, (laughs) Michael Gormley. Oh, said no one
0: ever. God bless y'all.